You know, whenever I talk to teachers or leaders and ask them their idea of a perfect school, I almost get the same answer each time. They describe a place that's noisy, full of creativity, and students engaged in the learning process. And then I have discussions with them what they actually really see. And somehow, it's different. It's more orderly. It's about teachers not really creatively educating students. Instead, it's about pacing, curriculum guides, and making sure every little piece in the standard is touched on. Hey, everyone, Dr. Jones here, and thank you once again for taking the time to tune into another episode of Seeing the Lead. And this episode has me speaking with Marva Mount about the idea of scaling back structure and amplifying autonomy of teachers to help increase that creativity that I mentioned earlier, to help teachers re-engage with their why, because restrictions are scaled back and they feel that autonomy. You see, we do need general structures in place in school. They need to be present if teachers are to be able to act in a creative way, engaging students. But there's a lot of things leaders have to do and put in place to make sure this occurs. Following that less is more approach, that big domino approach that I love to do so much, listening to Marva explain that it's really only about one main thing to increase this was incredibly exciting. You see, if leaders increase opportunities for collaboration among teachers, it does everything from solve problems, spread good instructional strategies, and even more importantly, increase like experiences for students from teacher to teacher. Marva touches on this along with the whole idea of how to run effective professional development so that teachers re-engage with their passion for this profession. This is a great conversation you're not going to want to miss with Marva on Scene to Lead. And remember, help others hear these valuable insights by these great guests by hitting subscribe, leaving a rating and review, and most importantly, sharing with your biggest takeaway on social media. So let's get to getting better with Marva Mount on Seeing to Lead. I think we put so much time and energy into hiring individuals to work with our students. We do so much to make sure that they're good humans, that they are well-educated, and that they are there for the right reasons. We do a lot to make sure that we put those types of individuals into our schools and into our staff, right? And I guess what I would love to see is if you're going to go to all that trouble and you're going to take great lengths to, to find the right people to be with your staff and to be a collaborative partner in your school's success, why micromanage those people? If you go to those great links to hire great people, you need to stop the micromanaging. (laughs) 
Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Marva Mount has been a practicing speech-language pathologist since 1986. She currently serves as the Related Services Director at Imagine Learning, one of the leading ed tech companies currently serving students in grades K-12. to She has served in a variety of roles and settings to include hospitals, schools, skilled nursing, long-term care units, and private practice. In addition to her work as an SLP, Marva has served in a variety of administrative roles to include rehab director, principal, SPED coordinator, and SPED director. She has been a contributing chapter author to the professional issues in speech, language, pathology, and audiology, with her chapter targeting career building. In addition, she has authored a variety of articles on collaboration and interprofessional practice in a variety of publications, which include ASHA Special Interest Group 16, School-Based Issues, Texas Speech and Hearing Association, Communicologist, and Survivors of Soldiers Materials. She has authored grant proposals targeting collaborative and interprofessional practice ideals in her efforts to promote and support collaborative efforts on behalf of those she serves for better outcomes. In 2018, Marvel was honored with the TSHA Hall of Fame Award for her outstanding contributions to the field of speech-language pathology and audiology. Marva is also a sought-after presenter at the national, state, and local level on a variety of professional topics, including collaboration and interprofessional practice. In 2022, Marva was inducted into the National Academy of Practice as a distinguished fellow. And I am so happy to have Marva on the podcast today because a couple of things that she's passionate about run right in line with my beliefs about continuous improvement. Marva believes that there's better ways to improve education, the educational system, and that we start that by treating teachers as professionals so that we can all reach the higher or loftier goals that the educational system was meant for. So, Marva, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be a great conversation that I really just want to get started with because it's so near and dear to me, that idea of treating teachers as professionals. So. What do you mean by that? What do you see in your extensive background of education and how can we improve that? Teachers are people who go into teaching because they have big hearts and because they have amazing ideas of how to motivate children. And I think what we've done is we've taken all of the enthusiasm that teachers have out of the equation with all these things that we ask them to do that are not educationally relevant or related. They have the teaching background from their schooling, but they they don't go into teaching because they think they're going to be rich, right? We all know that that is not the place to go if you want to be rich or if you want to retire early. 
And I just wish that we could take teachers from that enthusiastic aspect of why they wanted to become a teacher in the first place and just let them create amazing opportunities for students to learn instead of telling them exactly what they need to say and when they need to say it and what they can say, what they can't say. I think we need to start at the human aspect of this. Why do they want to become a teacher in the first place? Why do a lot of people in the United States don't want to become teachers? And start there to build some amazing opportunities for students to learn people's real story, to learn why a teacher wanted to be a teacher, to get to know a teacher on a personal level. And I think teachers are afraid to do that anymore because there are so many people overseeing this process that don't really understand what the process should look like, maybe. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just said that's 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 a really powerful statement. The idea of pushing out the people that don't really understand education or aren't trained in education. And I always say it like, okay, so I go to a doctor and the doctor tells me something. Do I tell the doctor he's wrong and doesn't know what he's doing? No, because he's a professional. And we need to get back to where teachers know about education. That's what they study. That's what they're professional. They're, they've gotten higher degrees in it. Now, that does wear teachers down when there's that level of disrespect, especially in today's political climate. But without even going into that too much, how do we recapture that? How do we guide teachers, so to speak, into recapturing that initial excitement? I just happened to speak with a former student that just received a job offer from a district. And the smile on her face and the gleam in her eye was just, it it just made me so happy to see that. But how does a principal or a leader or anybody help a teacher recapture that gleam in their eye after years of the disrespect and the people interfering? I think you start with scaling back your structure and amplifying autonomy. You assume these individuals are professional people and you do that in your hiring process where you determine this is a professional person. This individual has great ideas. This individual has a passion for learning. So my suggestion might be to, okay, let's have the structure in which they need to function because we all know all teachers need to understand by the end of this school year, this child needs to learn X, Y, Z. I think we all know that. And I think teachers are very intelligent and smart people and they understand that sequence of events that has to happen in order for a student to get from the beginning of third grade to the end of third grade, for example. But we get the teacher the autonomy to come up with their own solutions to how to teach those lessons. We give a teacher carte blanche, if you will, on anything you want to bring in this classroom in addition to this textbook or in addition to these state standards that you feel would make this child excited about learning, why am I standing in the way of that as an administrator? Let that happen. Let them do camping trips in class. Let them come up with creative ways to make the lesson speak to the student. And not only are you going to captivate and capture that enthusiasm that a teacher used to have, but you're going to generate that in all the students in that classroom because they're going to see how much that teacher cares about them 
because she's giving them all these personal experiences to go along with their educational experiences. I think that might work. That's how we used to do it. (laughs) I think that might work too. Just, I mean, my son, who's studying to be an engineer at vocational high school, he came home the other day and he told me, oh, dad, trig is easy. And I'm like, what? And the reason he's doing it is this because it's tied to his everyday and something that he's using. And it's tied to a personal experience of his. So it's much more effective than trying to learn it, you know, out of a textbook or with rogue curriculum maps and things like that. But one of the, one of the things I do wonder is at the high school level, we have the different sections of classes. And so a student A, let's say, can have in English honors in 10th grade, and student B can have English honors in 10th grade, but they might have different teachers. So how do we address the call for like experiences based on classes with different teachers if there's that much individual creative autonomy? Well, I think your structure has to be there in terms of this is what honors English is established to teach this particular student. But maybe each teacher has different experiences, maybe not only in life, but in their educational opportunities that they've had. And they want to go at how to teach those structures in a different fashion. The best thing, I think, to make it a little more cohesive possibly is why don't we just give teachers opportunities to work together on projects? Why do we all have to work in a silo? Why do all teachers have to be independently owned and operated where they don't have the time to talk to each other or they don't have the time to brainstorm with each other. Or it's almost frowned upon to ask your colleague, hey, how do you think this should be handled? What if, what if, what if we just gave teachers opportunities to be collaborative so that they could talk about these ideas amongst themselves and maybe get lessons that look similar Uh, but have enough wiggle room in there for a teacher that, you know, that's not really my strong suit. I don't really want to teach this this way Um, to to talk to their neighbor teacher and collaborate on, but have you ever thought of doing it this way? Or have you ever thought of this approach? It would be great if teachers had time to do that other than two days before school starts or wrap up three days after the year ends. What if we built that into the curriculum where teachers had opportunities to collaborate along the way? And I think that those issues of teacher A and teacher B being so different wouldn't be so significant if those individuals had time to really collaborate and learn from each other. And we've sort of taken all of that out of the equation too, although I'm not really sure why. It's almost like we don't want collaboration. We preach that we would like to have collaborative experiences for teachers but we don't give them time to do that unless they spend their own time doing that, which teachers we all know work probably 80 hours a week instead of 40 hours a week because they do a lot of things on their own time. And I think they'd probably be willing to collaborate on their own time if they weren't so exhausted. So why not build that into the day? Why not let your teachers have opportunities to collaborate with each other and come up with ways, fun ways to decide what learning should look like instead of, It's got to be this way. You have to teach it this structure. You have to do these sequence of events because, you know, teachers are all very different. Students are too. So why are we not taking these opportunities to 
advance students' learning by advancing our own learning, right? Teachers learn too. We learn on the job every day, right? I just think it would be great if we gave teachers the leeway and the opportunity and the time to collaborate with each other on what they think those teaching strategies should look like and not what perhaps administration or district level decision makers decide what those learning experiences should look like. Imagine that. What if? Imagine that. (laughs) I liked how you hit what if a couple of times. You talk about teacher learning. And all I can think about when you're saying time to collaborate and time to be creative is less is more. And how it seems year after year, we keep trying to just jam more into the schedule, give students more, schedule students more. And we're missing the the less is more that many of us have learned is actually a way to be more productive. But agreed, agreed. I just, um, I don't know. If, if you can teach things in a way that practice is always the end result, like let's give it a whirl, right? Let's give the information that you need. Let's give some structure, but then let's give you all the time you need to practice that in different ways with different people and with different learning strategies in place. Like we don't all learn things the same way. We don't all, we can't all sit captivated for hours and listen to lecture, right? Bring back field trips. Bring back outside of classroom excursions. Give teachers the ability to schedule things that they think would be helpful to the students that they know best. And maybe lecture all day, every day is not what they, those students need. So give the teacher the opportunity to tell us what the, the students need, not the other way around. Excellent. And So you're talking about the continuous learning piece. You're talking about how teachers learn from students as well. Teachers need to collaborate. I'd like to turn it a little bit or ask you a little bit about professional development Uh and how we can do a better job of offering professional development to teachers or more effective professional development to teachers. I'm sure you have some thoughts around that. I do. I do. Well, I have thoughts about everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel I feel as I'm talking, I'm quite opinionated about this whole situation, but teacher-led, designed, and developed professional development. How about asking teachers what they need to have for professional development? How about having teachers say, I want a professional development day where all the teachers that teach English get together and we talk about all the things we did last year that worked. And then we spent some time talking about all the things we did last year that did not work. And how do we problem solve those things that didn't work? I don't know. It's research is important, absolutely important. And everything we do in teaching needs to be evidence-based or I think we're wasting a lot of time. However, I think we get trapped in there's only a certain amount of people in the world who know about evidence-based practice when every single teacher knows evidence-based practice because they research it they try it out, they understand what works and what doesn't work. That's all evidence-based practice too. That's all really good information that teachers need to be able to share with each other. So instead of me saying, I think you need to learn about XYZ, XYZ, XYZ and your professional development this year, how about we flip the narrative and say, what do you think you need to learn about? What are the two or three biggest challenges that you have as a teacher in the subject that you teach. 
And then how can we pull people together with all that knowledge and experience in the classroom to help work through those projects and those problems that you've seen or those challenges that you've seen or those pain points you encounter with students? How can we pull all of that together with those professionals to give that information instead of you sitting in a professional development activity all day where people just dump information in your lap about the latest and greatest research with really not a lot of application in some of those programs? Um, Information is good, but informational dumping, I think, is probably what we do most to teachers. And I think that's the least effective way that people learn things. They need to get a little bit of information and practice it and then a little more information and practice it. And what better way to do that if you have teacher-led professional development and you have a committee, maybe, of individuals per subject matter level, grade level area. Let them come up with that what that professional development needs to look like based on what they see day in and day out with their students. That would be much more productive, I think, than what we give to teachers because we think on the administrative level or the administrative side, this is what you need to know about. Because we really don't know what they need to know about. We rarely ask them what they need to know about. What you said is so important on a number of levels. There's three things I just want to I just want to touch back on that you said to make sure the listeners hear this because I I really think it it needs to be highlighted. The first one is the whole examining mistakes to improve. When you talk about teachers getting together and saying, hey, what did we do this past year? I I would even argue this past month to give them more frequent touch pieces. But you say examine those mistakes. Talk about that mindset where we constantly tell students the way they learn best is to make mistakes and to learn from them, to examine the mistakes. And that's the best way to learn where we don't always want to do that as adults. And so providing that opportunity for teachers is so important for the mind shift that will then carry over to the students. The The second piece that you mentioned, or the second point that I got out of that, was the idea of evidence-based practices and how teachers have that evidence-based practice each and every day because they're in front of the students making it happen on the ground. Something that I ran across in my dissertation was I stopped believing in best practices, that phrase, best practices. Now, it, it, it may seem like semantics, but I believe in wise practices because that group of students that are in front of the teacher learn different than the next group of students coming in, even if it's the same grade, even if it's the same subject. And you know what? That group of students learns different that day than they do the next day or than they did the previous day. And so it takes that professional, that teacher, who knows what their students are about to adjust on the fly and use not something that's best that works in every situation, but something that's wise and works in that situation. I love that. I love that so much. Wise practice. I love that. (laughs) I, I just, I don't know why. I don't know why that hit me, but it just did when I was looking at how teachers addressed students in the classroom and what was successful and what wasn't successful. And then the piece of, boy, the the last piece, but probably the most important, the teacher designed and led learning. We did that at my school where we ran an in-house conference. I had teachers provide proposals to me. And then my job was to just make sure it would work in a schedule. And then the staff chose which ones they wanted to go to. It was basically a conference. And that was PD for the day. 
And they all raved about how much they learned because it was so relatable. So I just, I, I thought it was really important to highlight those three things that you talked about because, you know, the idea of treating teachers as professionals for education to really work the way it should, we have to be able to do that. And we have to set up the structure that they can do that in. And think about, I always like to think about how successful education was back in the old days, right? I mean, we educated people well and successfully without all the stuff. We didn't have stuff, right? The idea of the teacher, the spark, oh, I could do this and this would be so fantastic for my class. We didn't have stuff. We didn't have technology. We didn't have all the latest and greatest materials. We didn't have the best text. We didn't have that stuff. We didn't have it. And we did great. And the kids did great. And I think we produced so much better results in terms of people being critical thinkers, problem solvers. I don't want my students to think like me. I don't want my students to problem solve like me. I want them to problem solve and think the way they want to think in the experiences that they currently have in life and the ones they're going to have. I want them to be able to decide how they want that to look. And teachers teach that by students seeing them do that, right? That we we teach kids so many unspoken rules, so many unspoken ways of thinking when we don't demand that everyone in the class conform to a certain learning style or a certain learning experience. And we took, we've taken that away from teachers because now we have all, all this stuff. I think we focus so much on the stuff that we don't focus on how teachers are supposed to utilize all that stuff because we just don't let teachers critically think about anything. We say, nope, you do this at this time every Tuesday. You do this every Monday morning at nine o'clock and there's no creativity allowed. Some teachers kind of are those out-of-the-box thinkers. You can't make me do it a certain way. And those teachers are the most successful because I see your structure. I see all your stuff, but I'm still going to do it this way. And I just think we need to give teachers the power to do that. If you don't want this stuff, then don't use it. If you have your own stuff, I love it. Bring your own stuff in here and use that. As long as the end result is the kids have fun, and they learn when they don't even know they're learning, shouldn't that be the end result? Shouldn't that be what we're all after? So, uh, yes, 100%. I love the end result that we're after because that is the end result. Successful people once they leave school. Not in any specific track, but in the track that they find to fit them the best. And isn't that how life works once you get out of school? You find the place where you learn best, how you learn best, and that ends up becoming your career, what you're passionate in. Absolutely. And, and, and that changes from time to time because people change careers. And that's just, I mean, that's the way of the world that it's going now. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So, my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. 
full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. When you talk about education like that, and you've, you've held so many different positions, talk to me about the perfect school. Say you walk into a school, and this is the school that you think is the way education should be. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel? You hear noise. You hear laughter. You hear conversations. You see children walking down the hall, arm in arm not in a straight line with their hands behind their backs. You see people who are genuinely committed to being there, not only for themselves, but for everybody around them. I want schools to be noisy. I want there to be lots of interaction and lots of discussion about things. I want experiments happening. I want want life in schools. I don't want everybody to look the same. I don't want everybody to be functioning in a completely and totally quiet environment. You can't collaborate and learn from someone else if you don't get to talk with them. And we don't let them talk to each other in class because we have so much to get done in there, right? And we don't let them talk in the hall because that's distracting. And we don't let them, just like all these rules that we have, where'd these rules come from? I don't know who came up with all of this, but I had fun in school and I was, I loved um, every aspect of school because I was allowed to be whoever I wanted to be at that moment, right? I didn't have anyone telling me, oh no, today you have to be serious and studious. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to be successful. I liked the experimentation of my education. And did I get in trouble? Sure. Did I cross boundaries a lot? Probably. Were all my teachers glad when I finally graduated? Absolutely. I think they were, but them allowing me to make mistakes and them allowing me to sort of step out of line occasionally and realizing what those consequences look like. um, That was, that was my favorite part of school was if I made a mistake and I got in trouble, I learned a full lot from that. And I still look back on those experiences and I think about teachers that I had that allowed me to do that. And those are the ones that I always think, what would Miss Smith do about that? Or what would Miss Johnson think about that? Or I just, I carried those people with me when I left. So I think schools need to be vivacious places. I think they need to be loud learning spaces. I think people need an opportunity to challenge their thinking and challenge the thinking of others. And you can't do that in quiet environments where everybody walks down the hall, single file, nobody talks. You can't talk at lunch. You can't. I mean, where are you supposed to be social animals? Where are you supposed to, where are you supposed to learn different opportunities and different ways of thinking? You, you can't do that in a quiet, I like the asylum. I guess is the only word I can think of, but it needs, they need to be loud spaces and they need to be, I mean, organized chaos, probably. You, do, you definitely have to have some discipline and organization, but 
I look at schools that are so interactive and the kids are allowed to work with each other a lot as the best types of educational institutions. And that's what prepares you for college because that's what you have to do in college. You have to do group projects. You have to work with people you don't know. You have to work with people you don't like. You have to contribute to a society that maybe you're not comfortable in. And you have to learn that before you get to college. You have to learn that when you're formulating all those ideas that you have about life and what life should look like. So how does a leader support teachers in creating that type of environment? Well, I think first thing leaders should do is get rid of all these benchmarks that we have to do all day, every day. And all these statewide assessments that are supposed to determine how children are independent thinkers. I think we need to scale back on some of those things. And I think we need to let experiential learning be our benchmark for student learning and student success. I don't say don't ever have a test, but I mean, I just feel like that's all we do all the time is we test this, we test that. We have to pre-test this, we have to post-test that. When life experience could be a great post-test, we wouldn't maybe need all those benchmarks at the end if we structured the thing a little differently. So you've got so much to say about education and where education could go, but we are getting near the end of the podcast. And I do ask everybody, every guest that comes on, I ask them two questions. And I'm excited about hearing your answers to this. If if you weren't an educator or in education, who, not what would you be? I'd be a zookeeper. <laughs> you know, that begs me to follow up a question. <laughs> I've got to ask why. Why a zookeeper? I'd be a zookeeper. I'd be a zookeeper because... I love the outdoors. I love animals. I think animals can teach humans so many things. I feel like animals would be a great environment because they are not, they're so loving in most cases and they're not judgmental and they're appreciative of everything someone does for them and they just love to play and have fun. And I just think that would be a great environment to be in. Fantastic. So on top of that, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? I think we put so much time and energy into hiring individuals to work with our students. We do so much to make sure that they're good humans, that they are well-educated, and that they are there for the right reasons. We do a lot to make sure that we put those types of individuals into our schools and into our staff, right? And I guess what I would love to see is if you're going to go to all that trouble and you're going to take great lengths to, to find the right people to be with your staff and to be a collaborative partner in your school's success, why micromanage those people? If you go to those great links to hire great people, you need to stop the micromanaging. And I know that that sometimes comes from above us. So what I would like to see is people stop micromanaging me as the administrator and assume that you have put me in this position to do what's best for students and then let me do my job. And then that would trickle down to my staff. I'm putting you here because I think you're an excellent educator. That's why I hired you. So I'm going to step back and out of the way and I'm going to give you 
the opportunities that you need to show me what a great educator you are. So I think hire good people and then don't micromanage them. That's, that's what I would love to see is people having the autonomy to be who they are, to show students what they can be while just kind of, I just heard the cats, right? I just provide some of the structure that goes along behind the scenes. But I am definitely not the creator of the atmosphere. I'm more of an observer of, of what the atmosphere becomes. I don't know. I think that's the most important thing to me. I would love to, I would, what's that expression? Just do your job. Like I would love people to just do their job without having to do 12,000 jobs that don't have anything to do with their job. That that would be my dream school. That would, would be my dream job. I think if you put like-minded people together, great things happen if you remove the barriers that really never needed to be there in the first place. So well said. Marva, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. I think you've offered so many really good things for people to think about as they listen to this and and ways to actually you know, loosen the reins a little bit and and put teachers at the forefront and and let them do their thing, so to speak. So thank you very much for coming on. That would be so awesome if they would just be allowed to do their thing, right? That would be great. <laughs> so I think we should just all unite and start our own educational system. I think that'd be awesome. I, I'm in. I'm in if you're in. You're in. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So if, Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much. It's been great talking with you today. Yes, it's been fantastic. So if anybody else is in on this educational movement, is there a good way to get in touch with you? If anybody has any questions um, or wants to follow up? Sure, sure. They can reach out to me anytime. I can give you an email address or I'm actually in the process of starting a little website for myself and I'm not web designer quality type. Purchase, so I'm having to get help with it. But yeah, if anybody wanted to reach out to me or have continued conversations, they can always reach me at M-O-U-N-T-M as in Mary G as in George at sbcglobal.net. And let's continue this conversation and let's continue doing great things for kids and let's continue exciting each other and being collaborative so that we can have these great ideas and kind of see them come to fruition. Let's let's continue the conversation. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Seeing to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week.